a silent auction out there uh, in the foyer, and it's to raise funds for the uh, Degree 180 mission trip to the Dominican Republic. So I encourage you to go out there and take a lot and uh, bid on some stuff. They got some, they got some good stuff out there. I encourage you to do that. Would you stand with me? And let's read a passage from Luke chapter 1. Ah, we've, we, have my, we have the picture up. Now, guess what we're going to talk about today? We're going to talk about Mary. Yes. Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. That's not the first. Yes, that is the first. <laughs> the sixth month thing threw me. You know, I thought, wait a minute. We're already. It's Elizabeth who's pregnant. Okay. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord fulfill his promises to her. Father, I thank you for your promises to us. I thank you for your faithfulness in fulfilling those promises. I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit here. I pray that you would change us. We are here to be changed by your word. We are here to be changed by your presence. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We, uh, we Protestants spend little time considering Mary, uh, and perhaps that's a reactionary 
move on our part, a reaction uh, uh, to what is perceived to be an overemphasis maybe by the, the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, as usual, the proper perspective probably lies somewhere between the two extremes. And uh, we're going to spend a little time considering her, talking about her today. While we, we do not see her as occupying an irreplaceable role in redemption, I mean, he was going to come. Uh, you know, and, and if, if Mary had said, not me, God would have found somebody. He, he was coming. There's no two ways about it. And while we also don't see her as necessarily having a, uh, a unique privilege in terms of access to God, because we're all, we all have access. We're all told to come boldly before the throne of grace. We, we all have a hope that goes inside the veil and is right there in the very presence of God. Nevertheless, she's extraordinary. What she was given to do, the honor that was given to her was extraordinary. And she was an extraordinary person to be selected for that. And one of the things that makes her so wonderful is she was extraordinary in the midst of her ordinariness. She was very, very ordinary. We have little information about her other than the fact that she was a young girl, likely a a young teen or someone in her mid-teens, and she had a remarkable calling. And so in looking at that, I want to bring out a few points. First of all, the Bible rarely gives any attention to physical appearance. This doesn't talk about it. If you read a, if you read a novel today or something like that, uh, usually as soon as a new character is introduced, they'll tell you all about him. I mean, he was this tall and he you know, was burly or he was smooth or he, uh, well, they usually don't describe he's, uh, she, you know, they, they, they will, they'll give full descriptions, full physical detail. The Bible doesn't do that. Samson had long hair. That's about it for physical descriptions in the Bible. That's about all we get. And he got a haircut. We may assume that she was a brunette because of the part of the world that she came from, but that's about it. That's about, that's about all that we know about her. And I can assure you, she probably didn't look anything like this girl, but this girl looks like a pretty average girl here. All we know about Paul, the great apostle who wrote most of the New Testament, all that we know about him is that in person, he was unimpressive. How's that for a description? And he's the one who gave it to us. He, he was over in 2 Corinthians 10.10. In fact, he was, he was actually quoting other people. He was, you know, they didn't have very good mirrors in those days, and they didn't have photographs or anything, so he probably couldn't confirm or deny this. But some say that in person, I'm unimpressive. That's what he had, what he had to say about himself. Concerning Christ, the only thing we know about the way he looked, we learn from Isaiah, the prophet, over in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2, where he tells us that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. That's all we know about how he looked. We may imagine that Mary was beautiful and doubtless in the sight of God and the sight of heaven, she was gorgeous. But in terms of the way people look at people, we have no idea. And we live, you know, in a culture 
they're so obsessed with the way that we look that it's good for us to stop from time to time and reflect on this. I got a haircut this week. Thank you very much. That was more of a reaction than I got from the first service. And in fact, that was actually more of a reaction than I got initially from my wife until I pointed out to her that I had gotten a haircut. (laughs) At which point she goes, I see it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. It was getting a little shaggy and I thought it's Christmas time. I need to look good for these people. You're welcome. (laughs) But you know what? I can't imagine that Jesus ever thought, well, we're going into, we're going into Capernaum, guys. You know, get, get yourself spiffed up here. I can't imagine that Mary ever necessarily really thought about that. And so, you know, sometimes we think we're limited by how we look. We think that it puts restrictions on us. The only restrictions that it puts on us are the ones that are between our ears. Puts no others. So the Bible very rarely gives any attention to physical appearance. The Bible also rarely gives any attention or consideration to age. Paul wrote to Timothy and told him not to let anyone despise his youth. While those who are older, and I'm going to kind of wander over here because I know there's some young people over there, but while those who are older do at times seem to despise the youth of other people. You know, it's kind of like, what do you know? <laughs> what have you done? You know, you don't have, you don't, you don't have any gray hair at all. <laughs> and neither do I. <laughs> but, but you, you have it. You don't have any gray hair, honestly. And how can you know anything? Well, people who think that, uh, they got problems, okay? Believe me, I know that you know stuff, just not some of the stuff I know, but, but, I, but I know that you know stuff, and in fact, you probably, you know some things I don't know, absolutely do. We, we, we can draw and learn from each other, but here's the thing. I don't think that when, it, when he's saying, don't let anyone despise your youth, I, I don't think that it's necessarily... <clears throat> I don't think that the most important, the crux of that is necessarily don't let an old person tell you you don't know anything because you're, you're young. The people who despise youth the most tend to be youth. I, I was mentioning last week that, you know, you become 21 or 25 or, or whatever, whenever you think that an adult starts happening and you just don't feel like an adult. And you hit 30 and you're kind of going, do I really belong here? Seriously. And then you hit 60 and it's too late. <laughs> it just all kind of went by somewhere. But the truth of the matter is, Samuel, Samuel was a little boy and God began to speak to him, began to, began to not let any of his words fall to the ground. David was a youth when God called him. So it's got nothing to do with that. And let's go to the other end of it as well. You know, don't despise the fact that you think, well, I'm too old. I'm, I'm past it now. Seriously. 
I've known a lot of people who you try to get them to do something and go, well, you know, there there was a day, there was a day when I could do that, but that's not, not for me anymore. Noah was 500 years old when God started talking to him about building a boat. And I could just hear him, God, I, my, my back, you know, when I was 450, I was a lot better shape than I am now. Now that I'm 500, and if you can't get your, if you can't get your head around 500, Noah, I mean, Noah was 500, Moses was 80. But he was called to go and deliver God's people. It, it's got nothing to do with, with how, how old you are. Uh, Margaret and I went on a vacation a few weeks ago, a few months ago, what, what, something, whatever that was. And we went up to, uh, to Portland, Oregon, and we visited Bob's Red Mill. And there's a real Bob. There's not a real Red Mill, but there's a real Bob. And, and we visited uh, Bob's Red Mill and, and learned the story of Bob. And Bob was a real cool guy, and he was a he was a miller down in Redding, California, and he retired and turned the mill over to his sons, and he moved to Portland to go to seminary so he could learn Greek and Hebrew and read the Bible in the original languages. Wow, what what a guy! I mean, we all know that you can't learn a new language after you're seven. But here's this guy who's retired, and he's going to go learn biblical Greek and Hebrew. Yes! Yes! Don't don't despise your age, whether it's young or old or somewhere in between. You are what you are. And God can do something with you. No question about it. And then also, the Bible really pays little attention to social class. She likely wasn't destitute, but she certainly wasn't privileged either. No question about that. There was no middle class in those days. It's rapidly disappearing in these days, but there, there certainly was no middle class then. You were either wealthy or, or you, were, you were poor, and she wasn't wealthy. God makes it abundantly clear that he does not regard social standing in the way that the world regards social standing. As a matter of fact, if anything, worldly social standing is not prohibitive, but it doesn't help at all in the kingdom. Gets in the way, if anything. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul was writing to the believers and he said, think about what you were. He said, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. It doesn't say none, but it says not many. Because God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. So that no one gets it into their head that, hey, I did this. When Gideon set out the call for soldiers to come and serve in his army, 32,000 people responded. When God got through sorting them out, 31,700 of them had gone home. And the reason was God said, if I let you win with this many people, you'll think you did it. 
so physical appearance is not an impediment. Age is not an impediment. Social class is not an impediment. The news that was brought to her is reflected in the good news to us. It's, it's very, very similar. The news that she received and the news of the gospel to us, it's a very similar thing. This is my favorite artist depiction of the Annunciation. And not necessarily because of the, the angel. I mean, I like that, the, the light thing. But I, I just I love the way Mary's just kind of sitting there. It's kind of, okay, here's a big, tall, light thing talking to me. And let's hear what you have to say. Yeah. I really like that. And what the angel had to say, what I would, I, the only thing I wish is I wish the angel was just a regular guy standing there. But who knows? It might have been a shaft of light. It might have been a regular guy. We, we don't know. It doesn't doesn't really matter. What he had to say to her is there's going to be a new life conceived in you. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call his name Jesus. And when the gospel comes to us, that's the, that's the offer. That's the deal. There's going to be a new life conceived in you. You, you, you have to be born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. The offer isn't to fix your stuff. The offer isn't to make you a a better whatever it is you think you are. The offer is to take everything that doesn't belong to God and totally blow it away and bring out what you really are. Bring Bring out someone completely new. And it's not something you can do. You really can't help a whole lot. You get right down to it. And just just as Mary was saying, okay, how is this going to happen? I, I, I'm a virgin. I've, I've never been with a man. How am I going to have a child? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born in you will be called the Son of God. That's how it happens in the believer. You you can't just decide to be saved any more than Mary could decide to be the mother of Messiah. She she did not get this privilege because she de- that was her what she decided to be. I, I don't know. I I kind of grew up with the idea that that every Jewish virgin of the day went around going, "I want to be the mother of Messiah." And maybe they did, but you know what? I I I think some of them were interested in boys and, you know, stuff. I think they were probably like people are now. You know, and and I don't know what their options were job-wise, but it wasn't like Mary was going, well, you you know, she wants to be a nurse and she wants to be a a, a doctor and she wants to be a teacher. I want to be the mother of Messiah. And so that God said, well, okay, we'll give that to you. No, there was nothing she could do. To make this happen. Nothing whatsoever. The Holy Spirit, the, the power of God and the agency of the Holy Spirit was the only way this could be accomplished in her. And that's exactly how it is accomplished in us. In Galatians, Paul likens the new birth in us to the birth of Isaac. Isaac was one of the uh, 
well, several, I, I'm five or six in, in Scripture, children of promise. That is, children born in miraculous ways into impossible situations by the Word of God. Isaac was one. Samuel was one. Uh, uh, Samson was one. John the Baptist was one. Obviously, Christ was one. Isaac is the preeminent type of Christ among all of those. And Paul is pointing out that he's a child of promise. And he, and he ends up in Galatians 4, 8 by saying, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. What, what has been born in you did not come about in the natural way. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. Over in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul tells us that for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. The, the Holy Spirit did that. There are a lot of baptisms that are mentioned in Scripture. And of course, we, the one that's the most familiar to us, we practice water baptism here. It's the command of the Lord. It is the it is the, the physical testimony, public testimony to the fact that we belong to Christ and that we want to follow him. It's a first step of obedience and, and a life of obedience to Christ. But the baptism that takes place before that, the invisible one, is the Holy Spirit comes and takes you and puts you into the body of Christ. That's, that's the important one. Paul says over in Romans 8, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. There's, there's no way you can get in without the Spirit of Christ inside of you. No way. Because there's, it's not something you can do. It's only something that he can do through the agency of the Holy Spirit. John 3, 6, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit can only give birth to spirit. And then the angel also told her, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. Do you ever have any days when you feel like, do you ever have any days when you wonder if you're really saved? Okay. And... Are the rest of you saved or you just don't? I'm not talking about days when you, when you doubt your, I mean, you know, I'm not talking about days when you deny the faith, but I mean days when it just doesn't feel like, you know, you're just, it was kind of one of those days where you're kind of going, this isn't one of my holiest. You know, if it, if it, if it happens today, I might be in trouble. Yeah. Of course you do. We all do. And the news, just the, the, the fact that he has redeemed us, that he has saved us, and that we belong to him, regardless of any circumstance that's going on in our lives, is so, sometimes it's just so difficult to receive and believe. Kind of like the news that Mary got. The odds of winning, you being the only person to win the Powerball jackpot and pay this building off and support global missions, 
are, those odds are one in 200 million. And they pale in comparison to the odds of being the one chosen to be the mother of Messiah. That was one in every woman that's ever been. You go, well, they didn't have as many women then. You too. I mean, mean, they didn't know. She didn't know he was coming in her her lifetime. There's one in all of them that have ever been. We are so unimpressed with the ordinary, and we are so ordinary. I mean, there's no... To me, there's no ordinary left hand like this left hand. I know exactly what it looks like, and I know, I know what wasn't there 15 years ago and is there now, and that's what fingernails look like, and you know, I mean, that, this is it. I've, I've been looking at this hand for over 61 years now, and I'm very familiar with it. I'm the most ordinary person I know, and you are the most ordinary person you know, and we are so unimpressed with the ordinary because we're too dull to see how extraordinary ordinary is. We're so blessed in this body in particular to have so many artists who, who are able, uh, you know, photographers and, and painters and uh, well, look at this, you know, who, who, are, who are able to look at things that are ordinary and show them to us in a way that we can see what, what it really is, what, what's really there. You know? And of course, the artists themselves will tell you, you know, there's even more than this, but this is how much I saw. There's even more beyond this. God's the only one who really, who really sees it. Well, the, <laughs> every time we do a play, we're really blessed because we've got some really terrific photographers here, and they do great shots. In this particular show, one of the photographers ended up in the show. That was Ken, and so he ended up being able to take his camera backstage and, and get some shots during the run. And, and there's some nice shots there, but he made some photographs of some people backstage that I just kind of look at and, and just go, oh, I know that person because they, it's them. I mean, I recognize them, but they're glorious. It's just absolutely glorious. And I wish he had made my picture. <laughs> but not being in the show, I didn't get that to happen. <laughs> and, that's, and that's what God sees. That's what God sees. We, we look in the mirror, and that's the same old face that we saw yesterday. Unless we had plastic surgery, and then it's uglier. Need proof that, we, that the ordinary blinds us? In John chapter 1, Philip had met Jesus and he went to, to tell Nathaniel about him. And he said, we found the Messiah. We found the one that Moses wrote about. Je- Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And most of you know Nathaniel's reply. It was, Nazareth? It wasn't, oh boy, Messiah. It was Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? That used to be the esteemed position that Smyrna occupied. 
among, <laughs> among folks in, in Middle Tennessee. Uh, whenever uh, Jesus was speaking to the multitude and telling them that he was the bread that came down out of heaven, they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? I mean, I know this guy's father and mother. How can he say, I came down out of heaven? And when he was going into Capernaum and taught there, I said, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that's been given to him? He even does miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the guy who fixes our stuff? Isn't, isn't, isn't this the guy who made my table? Isn't this Mary's son and, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? You know what kind of reputation they got. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And, and, and I think that we probably take offense at ourselves more than anybody because, like I say, you're the most ordinary person you know. And so the sense that God could do something extraordinary in me and through me is actually saying, and God's the most ordinary God I know. But he's not. Mary went to see Elizabeth. Mary was told that Elizabeth was pregnant. Elizabeth was older than Mary. In fact, she was so old that nobody thought she could get pregnant. She clearly was, was barren. She was older, and, and she was pregnant with a child of promise, just like Mary was. <coughs> and let me carry the analogy a little further. If, you, if you're saved and, and you belong to Jesus Christ, there's one thing I can assure you of. You are not the first person that happened to. It happened to some other people before it happened to you. There are some other people who, who have who've walked a little bit farther in this thing. There, there are some who are six months down the road. There are some who are, who are 60 years down the road. Go to them. Go to them. I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily the, the shallow American consumer version of the faith. I'm talking about people who are really following God. Their life has been a life of, of following Jesus Christ. You should go to these people. You, sh- you should spend time with them. You should talk to them. You'll hear testimonies. You'll hear testimonies of miracle transformation. And it won't necessarily be things where people went, oh, a miracle. But it'll be things that over time you realize, that's, that's a miracle. That's incredible. You'll hear stories of faithfulness. You, you'll hear stories of marvelous stories of testimonies of faith. And, and it won't necessarily be the, the situation where faith you know, did this, this big thing and everybody went, <gasps> but it'll be faith that was lived out day by day, by week, by week, by month, by month, by year, by year, by decade, by decade. <sighs> and it's proven. Proven. And, and, it, and it will be an example to you. You'll, you'll hear unexpected confirmation. You know, when Mary heard the news from the angel, she didn't go, yippee, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm Madonna. No, she didn't go, I mean, she probably had enough sense to go, you know what, there's a tremendous upside here. There's a pretty good downside I can see to this thing too. And here she is, she's a, she's a teenage girl, she's supposed to be a virgin, 
and she's pregnant and she's living in a culture that really frowns on that sort of thing. It can cost you your life. And she hears that this other miracle has taken place. This, this other new birth has happened in someone, someone she knows. And so she goes to her. And can you imagine what it did for her when the first thing, as soon as she said, Elizabeth, I'm here. The first thing that she heard out of Elizabeth's mouth is, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Whoa. Yeah. Okay, that helps. How did, how did she know that? Well, she just got baptized in the Holy Ghost. That's how she knew it. The Holy Spirit came upon her. As soon as Mary came to see her, two things. Let me close with these. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. I was actually going to do the whole sermon on that. And then I thought, no, there's other stuff here we need to go through. But here's the thing. Uh, You cannot bring about this miracle in your life, but you can stop it. You can keep it from happening. You do have to accept it. And the miracle of God only comes when we submit to his will. We have culturally been, religious culturally, been indoctrinated with the idea that if you want to see a miracle, you've got to bring your faith into a situation and you've got to, you've got to Im- impose that faith of yours on this situation and make that mountain move. And, and there's a sense in it that, that says, I have to, my will, let's go. But the truth of the matter is, that's That's not a miracle. (coughs) That's magic. Miracle happens when we submit to God's will. When we completely submit to God's will. And and believe me, first of all, that's the first miracle (laughs) right there. Because we're all born with a rebellious nature. C.S. Lewis says, and he's talking specifically about people in general and, and their ultimate destiny. But I think it also applies to our progressive destiny as we're getting there. It says there's two kinds of people in the world. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to whom God says, your will be done. And those to whom God says, your will be done, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing at all. When Mary heard this news, like I say, she wasn't, we don't know if she was happy or sad or or what she was, but doesn't sound like she was bouncing around, but she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. And that is such a clue as to why she was chosen. And then Elizabeth's last words that we read in this passage, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Blessed are they who have believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to them. 
These, these are they, these are the ones who can have faith beyond the ordinariness. These are ones who can pick up on what Kevin was saying, that not only thank you for taking care of me yesterday, but thank you because you're going to take care of me tomorrow. I know that. Not only thank you that you've brought me thus far, but thank you that you're going to take me the rest of the way. And when I get to the end of the road and it's time for me to leave this earth, I'm going to have a good death. Because it's just going to be stepping into life. And I'm ready for the journey. Let's do it. Whether I take it here or there, let's go. I'm ready to walk. When Mary heard these words of encouragement from her cousin Elizabeth, she said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation to generation to generation to us, to any generations that will follow after us. For those who believe that he will fulfill the promises he has made. Would you stand? What a wonderful, beautiful time of the year. And I know it's a tough time for a bunch of people. I know, I know some people are hurting. But those who are going to minister to people, come down here, our elders and their wives, staff. You know, Jesus says that the devil is a liar. When he lies, he speaks his native language. If you're here and you're hurting, I know one of the voices inside you is saying, if you go down there, people are going to know that something, something ain't right with you. They're going to know that. And they're going to talk. Because everybody in this room is looking at you. Everybody in this room is going... You know what's going on with him. Reckon he's going to go down there? Huh? The devil is a liar. Father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Okay, maybe you lost your job. Maybe you got a, a, a relationship that's falling apart. Maybe, maybe, maybe physically something's going on. Maybe you're hurting. Okay? Maybe it's an old wound. But it's a wound. This is a time of grace, just as a table is a time of grace, just as the, the, the word is a time of This is a time of grace. If you need grace, you come. We're gonna, we're gonna, the rest of us are going to sing. We're going to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you need something, this is a time of grace. If I could maybe have a couple more elders come forward to help pray with Let's do it.
our steadfast love according to your great compassion blot out my many transgressions and wash away all my iniquity cleanse me from sin I love you guys uh, I encourage you to come this afternoon if you haven't seen Christmas Carol or if you haven't seen our version of it because it's the best uh, and then uh, Wednesday night Carol's by candlelight make this a holy week make it a holy week special raise your hand we'll give you a blessing may the God and Father of our Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ who sent his son into the world as a miracle of birth May the new birth of Christ be reformed in you. May you overflow with the joy of a new birth. May you overflow with the miracle of Christ at this time of the year. May those around you reap the benefit of Christ in you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Go bid on something too.